thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Well, friends, church family, it's good to see you this evening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for setting this time aside for us to to gather as a church family. Uh, Guests, if you're new with us tonight, a warm welcome to you. Perhaps you're joining us for our Monday, Thursday service. We are glad for you to, to join with our church family this evening. Uh, We are on a journey this Easter, retracing the events of the the last week of Jesus's life. And so we began last Sunday, Palm Sunday, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Tonight, we'll focus on that Thursday when he met with his disciples in the upper room. Invite you to come back tomorrow at 12 o'clock as we reflect upon the hours he hung upon the cross. And then, of course, to join us on Easter Sunday. You can show up at pretty much any time on Sunday morning. We'll have a service starting at that time. Uh, 38, 9.30, and 11. You are welcome to join for any and all, all of, of those. Tonight, though, we reflect upon those events in the, the upper room. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus met with his disciples on this, this very night, and he gave them the gift of the Lord's Supper. They ate of that meal, and tonight we eat of that meal. But before we do, we're going to go to him in his word. So I encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we read that account of of Jesus uh, giving the the Lord's Supper to his disciples. The the account as it comes to us through the apostle Paul. We're going to reflect on these words, reflect on this meal before we celebrate it together. So 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, where we read, For I, that's Paul, Receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us as we come now to your word, as we reflect upon the importance of this meal, as we reflect upon the meaning of this meal, as we reflect upon how we are to eat this meal. Would you draw near to us and would you meet with us 
I pray that in this time, Lord, our, our hearts and minds would be attentive to your voice so that we would do more than go through the motions and hear another sermon and celebrate another Lord's Supper, but would would really in, in this time experience you. So come, be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Consider the importance of this meal that Jesus gives to his first disciples and then through those disciples to the disciples that followed them and through the ones that followed them to the ones that followed them and down through the ages, down through history until tonight, we get together and celebrate together this meal. The importance is highlighted to us, isn't it striking that Paul wants us to know exactly when this first Lord's Supper took place? Do you see those words in verse 23? The Lord Jesus went on the night when he was betrayed. On that night, he took bread. So a few hours from now, he is going to be betrayed by the kiss of a friend. A few hours more and he'll be, he'll be arrested. The next day, he will be denied and beaten before being tried and crucified. And on the eve of this unimaginable suffering, on the eve of the greatest suffering humanity has ever known, where would your attention be? If this was your evening, if this was your tomorrow, what would be on on your heart? What would be on your mind? We would understand, wouldn't we, if Jesus found himself distracted this evening? If we found Jesus in need of some time alone, perhaps, to prepare Or if we found Jesus looking to his disciples, that they might give him some encouragement, him some courage as he tried to prepare for all that lay ahead. Instead, we find Jesus not focusing on himself, but instead focusing on us. And isn't that just one of the most Jesus things you've ever heard? Isn't that just one of the most Jesus-like things? On the eve of unimaginable suffering, to have you on his heart and on his mind. Not to be focused on himself and the pain that awaits, but to be focused on his disciples. And in these dying moments, in the few moments that he has left with his disciples, in this last time as it is all running, running out on his heart, is to give his disciples a gift. To give us a gift. A gift that will be a perpetual blessing to the church that he loves. What is this gift? It's the gift of the Lord's Supper. Well, what is the the meaning of this meal? What is the nature of this Lord's Supper? Well, one way to get at the meaning of the Lord's Supper is simply to look at the words the Bible uses to, to describe it. And three of these words appear in our text. There are others, but we're going to look at the three that appear in, in our passage this evening. First of all, when it comes to considering the meaning of the meal, we look at verse 24 and we see that the meal, the Lord's Supper, is a meal of thanksgiving. That's the first word, thanksgiving. Verse 24, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. The Greek word that's used here for given thanks is the word Eucharist. It means thanksgiving. And in some churches, particularly in Episcopal churches and Catholic churches, they'll actually call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist. And it's a great name for it because it comes straight out of the Bible, straight out of this text. 
And it highlights for us that while there is something solemn about this meal, and how could there not be something solemn about a meal when we reflect upon the body and blood of of Jesus? While there is something solemn about it, this meal is not primarily a meal of lament, but it's primarily a meal of celebration. A meal where we do what? Where we give thanks. As we come to eat and drink in, in a moment, we come to say thank you to Christ. Not under compulsion, like... Um, when you make your children write thank you notes, right? That's not how we come giving thanks. We, we come with, with great joy in our hearts, saying, thank you, Jesus, for your body broken on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood shed on the cross. Had you not done so, we would be stuck in our sin. We would be stuck in our shame, but you have died. And so we are eternally grateful. Do you know how... You know how long we're going to be thankful for? Forever. And then eternity more. And now, Jesus, you are with me, walking with me, providing for me. Thank you for your love. As you come to eat and drink tonight, fill your heart with thanksgiving. Second word we see in our text when it comes to the meaning of this meal after the word thanksgiving is the word remembrance. The Lord's Supper is a meal of remembrance. This term appears twice in our text, once in connection with each element. So verse 24, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the next verse, verse 25, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So this meal, as we come to eat and drink tonight, as we do so in just a few, a few moments time, is to be a meal of remembrance. What does it mean to remember? An important point, because in Western thought, this is how you and I think, remembrance normally just means to recall something. To remember something simply means to, to bring to mind something that happened in the past. That's what it means to, to remember something. But it has a slightly different meaning in Old Testament thought, a slightly different meaning in Jewish thought. In other words, it has a slightly different meaning in the way that Jesus thought. In the Old Testament, for the Jews, for, for Jesus, remembering meant more than simply recalling things from the past. Rather, remembering meant to participate in past events right here, right now. In other words, the call to remember was the call to drag events from the past into the present moment that you might live your life in light of them. So think perhaps we maybe have a similar thing when we celebrate anniversaries. My wife and I, we go out for dinner on our wedding anniversary and we sit across from the table from each other and we say, oh yes, I have an intellectual and cerebral recalling of the events that took place those years ago. Cheers, right? Is that, is that, how, the, is that how the dinner goes? Not if I want there to be another anniversary, okay? <laughs> On an anniversary, you celebrate the events from the past, yes, but in a way that drags them into the present. (laughs) In a way that uh, enables us to participate in them here in the present. And in a way that that shapes our, our future together, we're doing more than merely remembering. We are, in a sense, participating. That's why this term participation is actually used to describe the Lord's Supper 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So when we remember in the Lord's Supper, we're not just called to remember the historical reality of the cross. We're called to drag the cross into this present moment so that it shapes the lives that we're living even even now. And so as we come eating and drinking, we do that in simpler terms. As you take the bread and the cup tonight, enter into what they mean for you now. That's what it means to remember. To eat and drink and say, by this body and blood, I am now justified. I'm completely forgiven in God's sight. And more than that, um, he views me as righteous in his son. Through this bread, bread and cup, through this body and blood, I'm now adopted into God's family. I'm now considered one of his own. Through this bread and cup, I'm now being sanctified. He's at work in my life to push back the curse and give me healing and hope and make me into that person I will, I will one day become. Through this bread and cup, through this body and blood, I have assurance of God's love and I have peace in my conscience and with him. And I have growth in grace and I have the promise that I'm going to persevere and make it to the end. All of these things are my now present tense realities and my future guarantees because of this event that has happened in the past. That's what it means to remember. That's what it means to Remember, as you take the bread and cup, fill your heart with thanksgiving and fill it with remembrance. Third, final word we see in our passage, the Lord's Supper, yes, is a thanksgiving. Yes, it is a remembrance, but it is also verse 26. You see it there, a meal of proclamation. Proclamation, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the Lord's Supper is a, a proclamation. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in, in at least three ways. First of all, it's a proclamation in terms of the elements themselves. Elements meaning the bread and the cup. They are visible illustrations that teach us of, of, our, of our Christ's death. The bread points toward his body. The cup points toward his Blood. Both of them together sing of the gospel that everything you need is here before you. All you have to do is take and, take and eat. Second, we see a proclamation not only in the elements, but also in the fact that the sacrament is always accompanied by what we're doing right now, namely the preaching of God's word. We never celebrate the sacrament without it being accompanied by the preaching of God's word. We never separate word and sacrament. Why? Because the meaning of these elements cannot be understood apart from a retelling of the gospel. This is why Augustine called the sacraments a, a visible word. They're an illustration of the truths that we are given here in scripture. The bread and the cup only find their proper meaning as we hear about the body and the blood as the Lord's death is proclaimed. Third though, and kind of most obviously from our text, isn't it fascinating that the Lord's Supper, yes, a proclamation in the elements, yes, a proclamation in the word, but it is also a proclamation in you yourself are part of the proclamation. Why? Because verse 26 tells us that 
as you eat and drink, you are the one who proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. As you take bread and cup, you are, you are making a public statement that you believe these things to be true. You're making a, a public declaration that you believe that, that Christ's body was broken for you. A public affirmation of the th- fact that you think his blood was, was shed for you. You're standing in the congregation and you're saying, these are the things that I believe. And so as you take bread and cup, you see the gospel proclaimed in the elements. You hear the gospel proclaimed in the word and you make the gospel proclaimed as you testify that you too believe these things are true. What's the meaning of the meal? At least these three things, thanksgiving, remembrance, proclamation. So two quick applications as we move to the table. First one, quite clearly from verse 27 and verse 28. First application as we come to the eating of the meal is to examine yourself. Examine yourself. Look at verse 27. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty Concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It's possible, Paul says, to take the supper in an unworthy manner. Strong words with, we see, strong consequences. Makes us guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord, verse 27. And so we're told, verse 28, to examine ourselves. <laughs> Paul is a great pastor because he makes sure to include the word ourselves. <laughs> this is not a time to examine each other. This is not a time for us to point the finger. This isn't a time for us to judge and accuse others. It's time for us to examine ourselves. Am I coming to the table in a worthy manner? How do, how do you feel about that question? I feel like, I don't know. What, what does it mean? How, how do I know whether I'm coming in a worthy manner or, or not? It sounds like a really important question, and I'm sure I want to do it, but I'm not exactly sure how. Well, throughout church history, there's been a lot of mystery surrounding this question. How do we eat in a worthy manner? And I would suggest to us, we just stick to the Bible and demystify this question by connecting it to everything that's come before. By connecting worthy eating to the meaning of of the meal itself. We've said that the purpose of the meal is to give thanks, to remember, to proclaim and you eat unworthily when you come without doing those things. (laughs) In other words, you you eat unworthily if you come without thanksgiving. You come unworthily if you come without, without remembrance. You come unworthily if you come without proclamation. It is the nature of the supper itself that tells us how to come. And so we examine ourselves to make sure I'm not being thoughtless. I'm not just going through the routine. I'm not being blasé, but I am coming to give thanks for this great salvation. 
I'm coming to remember this great son. I'm coming to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So yes, examine yourselves, but don't get lost in some kind of mysticism. Stick close to the text and and eat in a way that is in accordance with the nature of the meal itself. And second and final application, having examined yourself, you must come. Come. Yes, it is wrong to eat unworthily. It is wrong to eat thoughtlessly, but it's also wrong not to come. And I gotta tell you, it's one of the great sadnesses as a pastor to see how often this happens. To see how people get caught up in their guilt and their shame. To see how often they get caught up in the mistakes of the day or mistakes from long ago and somehow feel they're not worthy to come or perhaps come with this cloud of guilt over their heads. But look at what Jesus says to broken sinners, to men and women like you and I. He says, verse 24, do this, do this. And then verse 25, again, do this. In other words, the Lord's Supper, this means of grace where we meet with him is not an optional activity of the Christian life. Instead, in the midst of our sin and brokenness, we're commanded to come. Why? Because in the midst of your sin and brokenness, where else are you going to (laughs) turn? Never, never let your sin keep you from your savior. Never let your sin keep you from your savior. In fact, allow your sin to drive you all the more to him. John Duncan was a Scottish pastor back in the 1800s. He was actually a a minister in the denomination I grew up in and a professor at the school that that I went to. Well, he was ministering in his flock one one Sunday morning and he saw a, a young woman who sat weeping as the Lord's Supper was served in his church. Bitter tears of grief over the guilt and shame she carried for the person that she was and for the things that she had done. And so when the bread and cup came down the aisle to her, she passed them on without taking any for herself. Knowing this background, knowing this story, John Duncan took the elements from the front and went down and placed bread and cup firmly in her hand and said, take it less. It's for sinners. <laughs> Not good. Take it, lad. Take it, lass. It's for sinners. It's for sinners. It's the meal for those who need grace. So if you need grace, and we all need grace, come. Come giving thanks. Come remembering. Come proclaiming. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this meal that you have given us, this meal of grace where you meet with us in a special way. Uh, This meal is important to you, Lord, so important that you made sure to give it to us in your, your, your closing hours here on earth. And you've taught us how to come, Lord, with thanksgiving in our hearts, with remembrance in our hearts, with proclamation in our hearts examining ourselves, but then making sure to come.
and so Lord for this table that's for for sinners. We thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.